Hello, this is Yaro, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Soul Orwell. Hello, and thanks for downloading today's episode. In a moment, you're going to hear from Soul, who shares his entrepreneur's journey going from the video game industry to a local search in Toronto, Canada company, and then his big claim to fame, examine.com, a multi-million dollar content website. All those stories are coming up next. But before we begin, I'd like to recommend you head to interviewsclub.com and there you can sign up to the email newsletter to make sure you get every edition of the EJ podcast as soon as it's released. Interviewsclub.com, then enter your email address and click subscribe and I'll send you an email each time a new episode is released, plus you receive a series of the very best EJ podcast interviews from the archives. Okay, let's begin. Here is Soul Orwell. Hello, this is Yaro Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast with a guest who I recently come into face-to-face contact in my new home of Toronto, Canada. And uh, I wish I could say that I've known him for years and I've heard his story, but it's actually a recent story at least the end part of it, the most, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the most recent business part of this story I have heard about, but I don't know much about the background of my guest, which I'm also really interested in learning about because I think there's a lot of stories to share here. Uh, the main business, though, that you might know my guest from is examine.com, which is a multi-million dollar business that basically provides advice on supplements you can take and makes money from selling uh, education, as well as some other things which we'll probably talk about during the interview. So I'd like to welcome Sol Orwell to my show. Hi, Sol. Hey, Yaro. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So, yeah, you're, you're in Toronto, but uh, born and raised in... Yeah, so uh, I'm ethically uh, Kashmiri, which is what Pakistan and India keep fighting over. But uh, I was born in Pakistan. I grew up mostly in Saudi Arabia. I spent a few years in Japan, back to Saudi Arabia. Did my eighth grade in Houston. Did uh, high school and university in Toronto. Uh, by then, my businesses were doing well enough that I basically retired. You know, I did the digital nomad part without the actual working part. Uh, lived in the States and Argentina. And then seven years ago, I came back to Toronto, and, and now I'm glad to be in one place. It's nice to have roots. Nice. So you definitely feel Canadian now more than anything? Oh, 100%. I, I embrace the Canadianness that is a uh, man. I mean, look at it, right? Like the, the cultural diaspora we have here, the the blending of the, the cultures, the amazing fusion food that comes out of it. Oh, Toronto's the best, man. No doubt about it. Awesome. Now, I, I, I can't imagine uh, growing up, you know, Pakistan, Kashmiri, what is the entrepreneurial influence like there as a child or even just from your family growing up? Right. So uh, the actual influence was my dad. So my father joined a Saudi petrochemical company, uh, but because he joined as a Pakistani citizen, they would never promote him past manager. Uh, if he had joined as a Caucasian, they would, or sorry, as a Western citizen, they would have put him into a general manager. So when we actually became Canadian citizens, my dad applied to be promoted, but they said, nope, you came into us as a Pakistani, you'll always be a Pakistani to us. Wow. Um, I mean, it's telling that he was really, really good at what he did. He would have become president if he was an Arab. Uh, so, and, and I'm not saying this is endemic through all companies, but this is simply the company that he was in. And so from the start, my mindset was I am never going to let anyone else control, you know, what my promotion can be or what I can do. Um, it, it, it's actually funny, you know, I graduated from high school now 
uh, 15 years ago. And uh, I used to tell the comp, uh, our computer teacher, that he would one day work for me. And uh, I was always independent. I was always getting in trouble. I was in detention. But they just asked me two days ago to come and speak to the entire high school about, you know, things you have to overcome and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think my, my personality was always like no one can ever tell me what to do. And entrepreneurship obviously uh, uh, leads into that. I mean, if there's one last thing even, I legally changed my full name just because I wasn't happy with the fact that I never got to choose my name. So I think it was more independence than anything else that really got me uh, down this path. Mm, interesting. So during that high school era, was there any kind of businesses that you started there? Yeah. So my first seven figure was in online games and I started it when I was in uh, 10th grade. Yeah. 1999. Or is that 11th grade? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, I had massive amounts of culture shock going from Saudi Arabia. This is pre-internet Saudi Arabia to Houston. I went to like a Latino middle school. So online games were kind of my safe space. Uh, and that's kind of how I got into that realm, and what, I realized that virtual. Uh, dude, I originally played a game called Subspace. That that's really it. It was the original. If someone's been around since the mid '90s, they'll know about this game. It was like the original uh, online, like multi, uh, massively multiplayer online game. Right. Uh, the guys who made uh, Command and Conquer made it. Uh, um, I actually. I actually never played EverQuest or World of Warcraft or any of those games. I mean, I dabbled in and I knew how they worked. Um, but that's what we did. We sold virtual currency, virtual items in those worlds. And that was actually, to be honest, that was the biggest success I've ever had was way back in 2001 to 2003 or four. Okay, you have to tell me everything about that company because, I mean, first of all, it's, it's a real, <laughs> very weird business. And I have actually uh, is, <clears throat> many, many years ago... I think I interviewed someone who actually did uh, something similar, and they were selling just the the, the weapons and you know tools and exactly and make selling hundred percent. Okay, tell me so this is what happened, right? It's yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So basically, um, there are two types of to simplify. There are two types of people who play online games like this, like EverQuest. Uh, they're the people who have a lot of time. You know, that can spend 40, 50 hours uh, a week playing the game, getting really into it. And then there's busy professionals that have maybe, let's say, five hours a week to play the game. And if you're playing the game, right, and if you're a busy professional, you know that you need to, let's say, have to spend 100 hours before you can get the soul boss at the end of the game or in one of the end of the areas, right? So since you don't have 100 hours to invest in the game, you just buy your way to it. And that's what we did, right? That was where the revenue came was. We were basically saying, hey, busy professional, I know you want to get the Sword of Doom so you can fight the big bad boss. Pay us, let's say, 500 bucks and we'll give you the Sword of Doom. Uh, on the business end, on the other side, you know, if you're some kid who's been playing for, you know, 50 hours a week and you've got 10 Swords of Dooms because they're so easy for you. And I'm like, hey, I'll pay you 10 bucks for each of your Swords of Doom. They're like, hells, yeah. So the margins were massive. This is before World of Warcraft, too. To give you a sense of it, EverQuest at its peak was 450,000 players. Right. World of Warcraft at its peak was 14.5 million players. Wow. Right? It wasn't even, like, the scale wasn't even close. But what we did, and, you know, we basically built up massive content websites. So we would go into these games and we'd catalog each item in the game or each area in the game, each, each ba uh, boss in the game, and we talk about tactics and whatnot. So our website's got a lot of traffic. I mean, I think at its peak we were at two to three hundred thousand visitors a day to our website, That's uh, to our websites, uh, and we had some 
we had some big ones. We even had like Diablo2.com without like not the II or TWO or anything, but Diablo2.com. So we had these huge websites that are very popular. Uh, and instead of, you know, the, the CPMs died in the late 90s, right? Instead of trying to make money off advertising, we realized, you know, this audience loves online games. Let's sell guides. Let's sell virtual currency. And boom, that's what we did. And you keep saying we. Did you have like a team that were creating all this content or were yeah. they partners or? Yeah, so absolutely. So since I didn't play these games myself, obviously I had to bring in people, right? So it was almost like a dream job where we would go like, hey, listen, you get to play the video game you love for, you know, eight hours a day. Uh, your only thing is you have to catalog everything you do and put it into uh, a database. And people loved it. It was like the ultimate job for them. Uh, and then separately, we was, you know, uh, had server guys, you know, tech guys. Obviously, this is... Um, uh, relatively early video games were still relatively technical, right? A little bit more advanced at the time. Computers couldn't really run them back then, or the, well, you needed more advanced computers to run them. Um, so there was definitely a lot of uh, tech people associated. And then eventually when, you know, I did my retirement and basically let it go, you know, I had a number two who, who basically ran the ship. So I actually paid him more than I paid myself, um, but he did all the work and I got to, you know, enjoy myself. So that that was the we in this context. I just have to take you a couple steps back though, so because... It sounds like you know you're in grade ten or eleven, and then a couple of years later, you've got a, a team. Uh, you're paying a CEO to run it. You you know you're making uh, I don't know, sounds like millions of dollars potentially there from virtual toys. <laughs> no, what's to call them games? Right. Um, right. So you know when exactly. you, when you were in grade ten, you're like fifteen, sixteen, right? So um, yeah, what did you do? Did you just go and like did you know how to in, set up a website, do HTML, configure servers? Um, SEO, where, where did all that basic, uh, you know, how to get traffic, how to build a yeah. website come from? Where did all that learning come from? Right. So actually, the first website I ever made was on QBasic. Uh, I don't know if anyone here remembers it, but that's the old school MS-DOS programming. So I was always very nerdy. Uh, I always loved programming. Uh, I, taught, I taught myself PHP in, I think, uh, 1999 uh, when it was still PHP 3. I think PHP 3 was still relatively new. So I taught myself all that. Uh, HTML, CSS also. I still even remember buying uh, SitePoint's uh, first CSS uh, book in, what was that, I think 2003 when it came out. So, yeah, man, a lot of this was self-taught. And I think it's made my life a lot easier now because I understand all the underlying stuff, right? People get a little bit disassociated now with CSS or HTML or programming. They buy something, it runs for them, that's cool, but if something breaks, they have no idea what's going on. So I, I built up all that base over the years. Uh, absolutely. Even uh, server administration, I'm a computer engineer by degree, so obviously I had to know that kind of stuff. But that was actually the first thing I, uh, quote unquote, outsourced was um, a server. Um, back in the day, again, this is like 98, 99 now, uh, this uh, one guy and I, we teamed up and we got a Cobalt server. Ooh, that's something I haven't said in a long time. Uh, those don't even exist anymore now. Uh, but he, I paid him a, a nominal fee to, to run the server. Uh, and, and all these people I met was through this tech slash programming slash online gaming world. Uh, my number two, he had a, a fan site on, on this video game called Neocron. Uh, and I messaged him or I, I found him on ICQ and I was like, listen, dude, I already have a, I'm already building my network. Why don't you join me? We'll be bigger than just something you could do ourselves. So this is a very common theme with all my companies. Everyone who comes work for me, uh, works for me, uh, there's two things. One, you know, if we combine together, our, our properties will be much bigger than if we're just working alone. And secondly, they know that I am not trying to be the famous person. 
right? right? Most people think that uh, Kamal owns examine.com. He's the one who runs it, but I own it, right? Uh, my online gaming sites, everyone else thought uh, this dude, uh, alias uh, uh, Barbarian, owned it. Well, you know, I owned it. So this has always been my common theme is I let my people become famous in their industry. And what's great about that is it makes them really loyal, right? Like uh, even using, again, examine.com, Kamal, right? So examine.com gets about 2 million visitors a month. Kamal knows that the biggest audience he'll ever get is through examine. He knows that the speaking events he gets or his ability to write in Men's Health, Men's Fitness, CrossFit Journal, he's been quoted in BBC, Mother Jones, we're writing, we're helping New York Magazine right now write an article, you know. All those are because of how big examine.com is and, and what they give him. So that's kind of always been my pitch is like, I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not trying to be the man. Come join me. We'll build something bigger than ourselves and you'll be the respected individual in your industry. Um, so I always try to give credit to my team because they do the actual hard work. So I think that's been a, a bit of a, a twist that I do relative to everyone else is I make my people famous, not myself. What, why is that? Did you not want the, the fame? Yeah, absolutely. Like I've never wanted, I've always enjoyed being in the background. I mean, I've known, or I know a lot of influential people, you meet them just through, you know, when you build up large organizations, but I never wanted to be famous. Uh, I've never wanted to be uh, someone that um, everyone knows about, or everyone talks to. Uh, you know, I was very shy, like I was a fat nerd, basically. It, it just wasn't my uh, personality at all at that mm. time. Which explains why I really haven't heard of you until like the last sort of 12 months. It feels like you've been on a bit That's of a right. tear of trying to build yes. your profile a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny, right? Uh, what actually happened was, uh, you know, I was at a, uh, uh, I, and I, I think I mentioned this to you, right? I was at a music festival. Uh, these kids were just uh, throwing garbage everywhere or they left garbage behind. And I got really upset with them. And I was just like, you know, this is not okay. And some hippie dude came in and he picked up the garbage and he threw it out. And, and I'm not one for like, you know, this moment changed my life, but I was like, you know, I need to be the change, you know, I want to see to be a bit of a cliche phrase. And that's kind of why I got into entrepreneurship, right? It's like you see these guys doing this, and, and I'm sure you really know this. You see, see these guys doing like a $40,000 product launch and they think they're experts. So they get 2,000 visitors a day to their website and they think they're experts and they can teach everyone else. And it was just too much of a frustration where I couldn't leave it alone. But what's been amazing is because, you know, I've been now doing this for 17 years. Yeah, like you said, right, it's literally been in just the last year. I think it's actually been 14 months since I've started my, uh, uh, you know, been a little bit more open about what I do and how I do it, uh, that it's been, it's exploded. But because, you know, I have this, uh, I think, experience that makes a, a big difference in, in how I've ran things. Mm. Let's keep going back to the experience. So, okay, you bring on a partner and through the, just the leverage you're getting with people, multiple people working for you, that, that company grows. Can you tell me a little bit about just with the, the aspect of making money from that? Like I, this is the late 90s, even doing transactions mm -hmm. would have been challenging. So how did you facilitate exchanging virtual goods and taking money for that? Right. So one thing I've always liked is we've pretty much always been middlemen. We don't actually, uh, only recently we, let's say, uh, started selling directly. But in general, we always find another partner who's uh, well, uh, who's got a strong reputation. And we go to them, we say, listen, we get all this traffic. We have all this audience that cares about this kind of stuff. We're going to send you this traffic, but we want a better deal. So like virtual currency back then, I think, was like 10% commission. We were able to bump it to, I think, 20 or even 25%. Because we said, listen, you can be our exclusive. We'll sign a deal, but look at our massive amounts of traffic. So I've always kind of stayed out of the realm of directly taking credit card because then you have chargebacks and all that stuff. And you do lose a bit of control 
But when you have to deal with stuff like the credit card, the, even the technical aspects of it, of chargebacks, of when the cash gets released and all that jazz, it makes it much, much harder. Um, incidentally, I was one of the first people in uh, Canada to sign up for PayPal. Uh, and we did so well that, you know, when we did start selling a little bit of our own stuff, that when PayPal fully uh, announced their launch in Toronto or in Canada, um, we did some PR for them. Like they put us in Global Mail and whatnot, talking about how PayPal worked for us. So we've always been big fans of PayPal and since then Stripe, just because of how easy they make it. Uh, but in general, we've always tried to stay out of having our own merchant account just because those are headaches that are not the strengths of what we do. Right. So back then with that, I got to know the name of the business. What was the name of the, the video game trading company? Oh, uh, the, the company we worked with was MySuperSales.com, which has since then become IGE.com. Uh -huh. uh, and then our website, like I mentioned, we had Diablo2.com, we had Ogaming.com, which is like a central network. And then we had like uh, specific websites for all the, you know, different ones. So like we had Everqu uh, EverQuestPlatinum.com was our like database website for EverQuest, uh, stuff like that. So we had a lot of uh, websites um, just because of the way the online gaming world right. works. There's classes and all the stuff. So there's a lot of specialization. Okay, just to wrap up the video game part of the story so I, just to clarify so let's say uh, like you said a, a part-time ex executive gamer so he only has five hours but he's got tons of money he goes yeah. online what does he do does he search for I guess information on how to beat a boss or something in a game comes across one of your sites and then your yeah. content says you need this sword to kill this boss and then will, yeah. he, will he see like an online store where you can go and buy the sword is that how it looked yeah, pretty much. So, you know, let's say he's searching for how to fight this boss and he ends up on our website and we'll have an ad saying, you know, buy the Sword of Doom, which lets you fight this boss. And then he's like, whoa. So he basically just ends up on a website and we say, hey, listen, you know, pay us real dollars. Give us your account name uh, and we'll have an account that visits you at whatever because there's different servers and times and all that. Right. Uh, we'll arrange a meeting for you and we'll just drop off the item for you. Done. They made it eventually, I think one of the games like had it easier because there were banks, so you could put something in storage for a friend and we'd do that, or the company would do that. So, um, But yeah, that was the basic process. Right. You know, I, I never played any uh, massively multiplayer games, and I, I, I always have this feeling, and I, I know some people listening will have this feeling too, going, like, there's banks and people are paying money for a digital yeah. sword. Like, this is, doesn't even make any sense, you know? <laughs> but I, I get it's, it. But... It still boggles the mind. Yeah. I mean, even back then, in the early, before World of Warcraft came out, it was a billion-dollar currency. There were economists doing PhDs and postdocs and research papers on virtual currency and social interactions. So it's become way bigger now. It's okay. it's absolutely crazy, though. I, I concur with you. It's insanity. Now, do you have any of those businesses still, or did you leave them? So I still have like part ownership. So oftentimes what I do is uh, when I get tired or bored of it, uh, I have two routes uh, or three routes, I guess. One, I can sell it straight up. Uh, two, I can retain full ownership and have someone else run it, such as examine.com. Or third, and I used to do this more back then, is like I'll take, uh, I'll keep a very minority interest in it and then I'll divulge or divest uh, the rest of it. Uh, online games, it never, because I never really got into it, it was nothing I really ever, uh, you know, wanted to stick around into. Okay, so you lost interest in, in gaming and being, you know, uh, playing a big role in that company. What did you do next? Ooh, so there's a lot of bouncing around. Uh, basically, the impetus was, you know, we built our. This is before WordPress came out, right? So okay. we built our own software uh, to run our content. So we were like, you know what? And because I'm a computer engineer background, I'm like, you know what? We'll do like web development company where we'll sell um, uh, article software. 
that was a complete disaster. Uh, I lost in the six figures in there. Okay. But what uh, what I learned from that was uh, there was a lot of, of, of our customers, a lot of them were bloggers. And again, this is early 2000s, so blogging world is still new. Uh, and so what we did was we found the oldest blogging directory back then. It was called uh, Eaton Web, or it was the original blogging directory. Uh, I think it started in like 98, 99. Uh, we bought that out and we expanded it and we rebranded it. Um, and so we got into kind of the blogging world. So I don't know if you remember sites like Blog Catalog, Blog Flux. Oh, yeah. Those are all our websites. CSS Vault, uh, I owned all of those. That was kind of our foray into blogging. Uh, blogging got a little bit hot, so we did a blogging uh, network uh, that was eh, that did okay. It, w- it didn't lose us money, it didn't really make us money. Um, I learned a lot about. So, what's that? What was the network's name? Uh, it was called Blogging Network, and we sold it eventually to uh, Slash Press, okay. uh, which I believe is actually still around, or I think they rebranded also, but they're still around. Um, uh, it's funny, small world, like Jeremy Wright of B5 Media is here in Toronto. We hang out. We talk about the blogging world from way back when. But, uh, you know, so that went okay. The blog tools did decent. I mean, I think I sold that stuff for like half a million or something. That was a decent chunk of change. Um, from blogging, uh, I'd also been dabbling in domains along on the side. So there's also this little domain thing I was doing. But the next big thing, and this was content-based, was I moved into a neighborhood of Toronto. It was the first, you know Yorkville, right? It was the the first condo in Yorkville. This is, I think, 2004 now. Um, and this is before there was Yelp or Google Maps even existed. So uh, I basically went around and I indexed all the businesses in the Yorkville neighborhood. Uh, and I popped that on a website. I called it yorkvilleguide.ca. And uh, within a few months, it was getting like two, three, four, five hundred visitors a day. And I was like, here's an opportunity. And so I expanded that to all of Toronto. And it was crazy. This is back when Dig was still new uh, or still, you know, heavyweight. So uh, it was called iBegin. Uh, and we popped that on um, uh, Dig and it went popular there. And I don't know if it was because of Dig or just because there was an opportunity. But I had 13 VCs come and say they wanted to invest in iBegin. And this is this is the good old Web 2.0 bubble, right? But the beauty of it was, or or the position that I was in was because of how well online gaming was doing or had done, and, and the blog stuff. You know, I basically said no to all of them again to retain my independence. Like I understand the upside. You know, I could have taken the money, especially if they're coming to me. The terms are more favorable. But to me, it was never about that. So I begin did really well. You know, local search started heating up. I think at its peak, we were doing like 25,000 visitors a day to our Toronto website alone. Uh, and, you know, we had badges and user reviews and rankings and recommendations. This is all before even Foursquare was even an idea. We had all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was fun. Uh, and it did well. But again, right, like it's just uh, like it wasn't something that really uh, kept me going. Uh, and so that did well, and we expanded to the U.S. and Canada. We started selling data instead. Uh, we thought that was interesting. Um, but it was kind of around that time that I decided to just, you know what, like these are doing well. It's So people don't know this, but um, the best CPMs are actually in local for AdSense, best CPMs by a mile. Uh, pretty much any, uh, you know, maybe mesothelioma will beat it or some random niches, but across a giant niche, uh, locals huge for CPMs. So it was just churning out money, right? And I was like, you know what? Again, 
in a good spot. I put somebody else in that was in Toronto in charge of it. I'm like, listen, you love Toronto. You can take charge of it. Um, and then I just bounced. And that's kind of where my retirement came where I was like, listen, I have enough money. I'm very comfortable. And, and again, I was dabbling in little things all the time, but there was nothing serious that uh, had me going. Okay. Well, before yeah. we talk about your retirement, which is no doubt very <laughs> exciting, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the local search, just to clarify, because you know, there's people here who are not quite as technical background as you are. If you sit down, right. in, even in 2004, where there's obviously yeah. far less competition, but that also means there's just not as many tools. How do you even start yeah. a local search company? Do you build a search engine or do you build a directory and then go door to door to index companies in the local Toronto area? What did you do? Yeah, so originally what we did was, and again, yeah, right, this is before there's iPhones or anything like that. We took a digital camera. Uh, we had a note, uh, uh, like an actual physical notebook, um, and we went around and we literally took a picture out of every single bit. Like, sorry, we actually went inside first because people were getting a little bit freaked out that you're taking a picture of their business. <laughs> so we'd go inside, we'd be like, hey, you know, uh, we're indexing all the businesses here in Yorkville for our website. Uh, and at that time, right, website was both awesome, cool, but at the same time, like, what are they talking about? <laughs> uh, and we take the information, right? We basically we built up uh, metadata. We tagged every single business. So if we went to an ice cream location, we put in ice cream, scoops, uh, scoops, uh, cones, you know, chocolate chip, mint chocolate chip, whatever. And then we go out and we take some pictures inside and we go outside and we take a picture of the storefront. And we just did this for, I think uh, I looked it up recently, it was 69 businesses in the Yorkville neighborhood. And so that's what we did manually. And we put it into a database. And originally there was no search, it was just a database. Uh, and eventually then what happened was, we uh, we decided, you know what, we can expand to Toronto. But uh, here, I'll be honest, Yara, one of my dream companies uh, is to index all of Toronto on foot. So when we did all of Toronto, we had to buy data. You know, you buy it from credit companies, you buy it from uh, Yellow Pages, all these kind of different companies. Um, and so we bought the data and then we basically uh, let our users tag businesses. So again, this is before anyone else was doing it, we're like, listen, an ice cream store is not just an ice cream store, right? They could have cookies, they could have brownies, they could have other things, right? They could have muffins. Um, so we basically let users tag businesses. I tagged it, obviously, myself. My friends helped out. Uh, and we did get a few power users that went bananas that added like 50, 100 reviews and added like 1,000 tags. I had no idea who they were. It was amazing. That's kind of how we expanded into... Uh, Toronto. Now, for the search part, it was a relatively simple search where it was basically what's what are the keywords a person has put in, what are the uh, the tags that match to those keywords, uh, and then we'd figure out what the distance was from where the location they were asking for. Um, so, so there's something called geocoding, and what geocoding is is it takes a physical address and it converts it into a lat and a longitude. So there's a company called geocoder.ca at the time, and I actually invested, I think, 10% into that company or bought 10% of that company to ensure we had access to the ability to geocode an address in Toronto. So that was kind of how we did the the data side and then the uh, geographic side of local search. Wow. Okay, so there's so many things I'd like to ask you about all of this. Like, you know, how, do you, <laughs> how do you go buy data? Like most people don't think, well, I'm just going to go buy data from the Yellow Pages to fill my website with content, you know. Um, and, you know, you, you clearly, and I'm seeing a pattern here, and I'm sure Examine is, is yet another example, you leverage the power of databases in every single company you've created so far, you've talked about here, at least the, the big successes, right, where you've just... 100%. Right, got lots of... Yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Yeah, like, 
I'm a big believer in quality of content and a database is just content, right? So we look at examine.com, uh, you know, our unique content or our unique proposition is that our in-depth investigation, no one can touch. We've written three and a half million words on just supplementation and nutrition. There's no one else that's even close to it. So same thing with, you know, I begin in local search. It was the same thing, right? There was no one else that was tagging businesses and figuring out what was going on. And again, this is just when Toronto.com and Red Toronto were around. Um, and honestly, if I had been more driven, it could be huge today. You know, it could be bigger than Dine Tio or Urban Spoon and all of this, but it's not my personality. It is what it is. Um, so yeah, you know, it was, we make unique data. So if someone was on Google back then, let's say searching for, you know, ice cream scoop, uh, Toronto, we were one of the top results because we had pages on ice cream scoop Toronto. So absolutely. I'm a huge fan that, you know, everyone talks about content, but the hard part is not in, in a way, the hard part is not generating content, right? There's thousands, millions of articles published every day. The hard part is how is your content useful or how is your content something that people need access to? That's kind of the baseline. And, and that's what I've always, always uh, focused on for all of my companies. Which leads me to a question regarding I begin with local search. Uh, it is what it is, local search. So people go into right. a search engine looking for local information. Was your traffic 100% organic? Like by, I'm thinking the era you're talking about here, Google is becoming the dominant player as well for general search. So yeah. is that where you got your traffic from? Uh, so there was actually quite a few people that uh, loved IBM uh, back then, again, because Google was still relatively uh, soft and local. Uh, nowadays, right, I mean, uh, I would say most of the traffic is search engine based. Anyone, uh, and this is honestly true for almost everybody, so uh, we can even kind of like deviate. What, what Google's been doing that's really interesting is it's been working harder and harder to basically keep people on their, on their website, right, on Google.com. So their knowledge base. Uh, putting Wikipedia a listing or information on their site is basically to keep people on your website. So back then, there was no local search pack or local search results. And what happened is every single major local company, uh, yellowpages.ca here in, in Canada, uh, Dex knows yellowpages.com, yp.com in the States, all of them, they've all been heavily impacted by Google changing the search results to become more and more about themselves. Uh, in fact, TripAdvisor and Yelp had a bit of a kerfuffle, or a few times they've had a kerfuffle with uh, Google where they've withheld reviews because Google's basically, quote unquote, stealing all the reviews, throwing it on Google.com and not sending any of the traffic back to Yelp or TripAdvisor. Um, but it's interesting, right, that if you think about it, TripAdvisor and Yelp are both billion dollar companies. They both get a lot of traffic directly, not from Google alone, because those reviews are valuable. So back in the day, we were getting a decent amount of traffic from Google, but there was a lot of people that loved us because we were a way of finding local insights, which is what local search really is about, uh, into Toronto. So it was, it was a good mix of both back right. then. Right. So you had people basically bookmark your site and would go to you first if they thought about any local needs. Exactly. Yep, absolutely. Or or they may have gone to Google originally, but now they're like, okay, we want to see reviews or we want to see if there's any businesses we've missed. So uh, I wouldn't say it was one or the other, but there was definitely a lot of direct traffic. Uh, and this has been a common theme, right? Uh, online games, our content was unique. People come to our website over and over. Local search, same thing. Examine.com, same thing. Our direct traffic is massive. Uh, I think one of the best measures your uh, company or blog or whatever can have is if the top keyword that people use to find your website is your own brand. Mm. That's to me an ideal situation that you have a strong brand then. Now just to clarify for those who are not familiar when you say things like CPM, how exactly did you make money from this local search company I begin? 
Right. So CPM cost per mil basically means, you know, the amount of dollars you made per 1000 views of your ad. Uh, and AdSense is terrific, great, amazing for uh, local traffic. So one of the things that um, uh, most people may not know is that Google actually has multiple tiers of AdSense. And one of the tiers uh, is AdSense for search and not the regular AdSense for search, but basically you get to say what the keyword is in the search. And so pages, category pages on in local search are considered uh, search pages. So you can put the AdSense for search on those pages. So if you or someone's looking for plumber in Toronto, that's a search right there. So the CPMs are really high and um, I mean, relative again, like even today, they're still like $25, $30, I think. If not even higher on the on the AdSense for search pages, I think those hit like $50 to $80. Um, so there's a decent, decent chunk of change uh, generated from that kind of stuff. So to clarify that, a person thinks about, I need a plumber and I live in Toronto and I know this site I begin, they go to your site, they type in that search uh -huh. phrase, your listings come mm -hmm. up just from your own database as well as the yeah. ads from Google's AdSense program appear in the sidebar, the footer, etc. And if people click exactly. those AdSense ads, they then you make a commission from that. Exactly. And the nice thing about them, uh, and, and again, about local searches, uh, I don't know if you noticed on pages like uh, New York Times where the ads really uh, mimic your design, that's the same thing you get in the local search space. Right. Okay. Interesting. So to this point, it, it's, I'm thinking 2004-ish, and you're probably what, yeah. like 23? Uh, not even that, 21? Um, 21. 22, 21, 22. Right. And you've, you're still part getting like a revenue stream personally from uh, all the, the video game properties. Um, yeah. You know, you've lost some money from one company, then you sold another company for half a million as a result later on. Now you've got this yeah. local search company that's also successful. And you said you put someone else in charge of that one as well to be like the, the, the CEO type person, right? Yeah, even, even the blogging stuff, there was someone else. Most people had no idea I was involved in it. Uh, I've always been more comfortable with, hey, if you're really into it, because I know myself also, right? I know I'm going to leave in a year, five years, whatever. If you're really into it and you want to be the brand or the person in the industry, I'll help you make it happen. So, yeah, again, uh, same thing with local search, brought someone else for um, Toronto. Uh, when we expanded, it wasn't as much needed because we simplified the focus. So then you just need people to uh, deal with emails. You, you don't even need a brand person anymore uh, for that. Before we move on, I, I'm curious to know, when it comes to hiring someone who's clearly needs to be an intelligent, well-paid, potentially vested uh, owner of this company, you need to have mm -hmm. significant cash flow. So how does, like, you know, as a, a general answer, you don't have to tell me individually to your companies, but how sure. do you kind of balance the, okay, I'm starting a website, then I'm making enough cash flow, now I'm at a stage where I could put someone in place to run it for me, and then you have to go find them. How, how, did you, you must have some patents now that you've done that so many times to make that work, right? <laughs> Uh, so uh, a few things, absolutely. One is um, I definitely minimized my own payments to myself until I bring someone else and then I profit from its growth. So I, I'm big on, you know what, I don't need to be pulling out 20000 a month before I can bring someone else or I don't have a very um, expensive lifestyle. I think that's a very baseline. So it's easy to bring in someone else if you're not spending as much money on yourself. Uh, the other thing, and I believe this is highly underrated, uh, two great places to find people. Uh, one is your own audience. Uh, just as an example, at examine.com, we did a hiring call last year. We had over 500 PhDs apply to work with us. 
that's the, the like if people are already following you, they already like what you're doing. And that's how we found uh, someone to run iBig in Toronto. Same thing internal. We posted a link on the website. We emailed our audience and we are because our users and we said, listen, you know, we're looking for someone to run iBig in Toronto. Boom. Huge amounts of people. Uh, Reddit is kind of similar, right? Reddit, for people who don't know, is basically like a message board and a forum system and it has categories on every single thing imaginable both amazing and both quite deplorable to be honest but uh you know that's how i found my co-founder for examine.com right he was uh in reddit fitness he was really intelligent really smart really even keeled i find that's to be the number one attribute i find for anyone to work online or at least be uh the main person is they need to have a very even keel because you're gonna hear you know and you know this right you hear you're going to get like shit from random people. You hear the most angriest emails or messages and how much you suck. You need someone who doesn't get agitated easily. Um, and honestly, I think people uh, both underestimate and overestimate people. Um, you know, you don't need to have this amazing person who hits everything out the ballpark. If you give them the tools and you give them the responsibility, th- uh, and, and that's, I think, the hard part. It, it boggles my mind that people hire somebody and then they micromanage them or they watch over them at all times. It's like if you don't even trust yourself to hire someone correctly, why are you bothering hiring that person? Right? Trust that you've made the right decision. Let them do their damn job. And I always allow, you know, you're always allowed to make this one mistake once, but you can't do the same mistake twice. That's kind of my simple rule to it. And you'll find that if you give people that responsibility, they, they tend to uh, deliver that. Mm. Um, so the other thing, uh, and then the last thing finally is, yeah, man, you got to still be in the industry, right? You got to know who's interesting or who's smart or who's possible upcomer um, and, and just kind of go from, from there. How much did you pay them? Uh, it depends. Um, in general, uh, so an easy example, actually, the, the better one, I think, is examine.com, is basically I said, listen, I'll pay you a baseline. I think it was like five, 600 bucks a month just to start. Uh, and what we'll do then is every single cent we get until, I think it was like 2,500 bucks a month, I'll give to you. Once we hit that number, then I'll start paying for the expenses we have for hosting. And then basically, the I, and, and you know, the more and more higher we get, relatively the less and less you get so the, the, the partner or the, or the other person knows that almost all of the money that comes in originally all goes to them it's only if we become really really big that i quote unquote as an investor or as the you know starter upper guy uh starts making more money but in general i always pay them whatever we make goes to your uh coffers that that's kind of how i've done it and i found that that works really really well for me Oh, interesting. So it is quite early on. You bring someone on who might be making five hundred dollars as their guarantee, and then say any cent we make up to two and a half thousand, you're getting it. Any cent after yeah. that, I'm using it for servers for any costs we have. And then right. once you start breaking five, six, seven thousand a month, you start talking about you know planning the growth phase of your business. What's happening next, right? Yeah, I mean it, it all modifies. My ideal goal is to make sure at least they're. All of them are at least at 10K plus a month. That's the ideal goal where, you know, they can live comfortably. Uh, they're not like, oh, man, I need to get this or I'm stressed out about this. I mean, again, it's it's a lot about TV. It's a lot about personality. Uh, you know, you know people who are driven by money, which is not the same thing as being driven by even fame. Uh, I find the two are actually a little bit different. Uh, and I know from my experience, I can give fame a lot easier than I can give money. And, and I say that because... I work very hard on not extracting every single cent from my company, right? Examine.com, we could sell supplements. We could even do like supplement analysis and say, you know, this is what we found at the top 30 and then LinkedIn, the Amazon. And easily we could make six figures out of it every month, easily. But that's not my style. 
right? So it, I find that because, and the other thing is because of my past success, it's a lot easier for me to now to go to somebody and say, listen, I've done all this stuff. I want to get into this space. You know, I like to work with you. So, I mean, it's, I don't want to hard code the numbers. I don't want to say like, I'm giving you a baseline of only 500, 600, 2,500. We change it up. It depends on each person, right? So my next uh, company is going to be, or my next thing is going to be in pets, right? And if I go to a vet that's well-respected, I can't be just saying $500, $600 a month. They're like, this is ridiculous, right? Like, what is this? So you have to tune it to the audience. But I find that, you know, if the general theme is I'm going to pay you a flat fee and then I'll pay you almost everything we make up to this amount and then I'll start making money uh, and then having the social proof of saying I've done this multiple times, look at this, 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 uh, it makes life a lot, lot easier. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So back to your story. So you're 23. You're, you've had ready numerous successes, tons of money coming in, money in the bank, and you decide to become a digital nomad before the term digital nomad was really a thing. I, I remember I, I was sort of doing it back then. This is before Tim Ferriss had the four-hour work right. or anything like that. So, um, exactly. But you're 23, so you must be thinking, and it sound, correct me if I'm wrong, but your, your head was probably mostly in all the businesses you had had to that point, right? So you're probably thinking what's next in life as a question and that's why you sort of retired is that kind of correct yeah i think it was more like yeah you know i've put in the hours i did those non-stop 100 hour weeks and all that kind of jazz um i used to do like once every six months i do a 24-hour programming challenge where i'd literally just code something for 24 hours that'd be the ambitious goal uh, i think honestly i got burnt out right like money has never been the the biggest driver for me like i'm pragmatic i realize how important it is but it wasn't like you know how can i make 10 million dollars 50 million dollars i was like okay what would i rather do uh and i've always loved traveling i've traveled as a kid obviously i find that uh cultures and and different um how we operate differently but are all the same i find that kind of stuff fascinating um plus uh, admittedly at this time i was still relatively younger i had no desire for roots i was like i want to live somewhere warmer Right. So we ended up in Phoenix and we just bounced around from there. So uh, honestly, uh, if there's any regrets or like, you know, shameful times in my life, it would be like those five years of, of retirement, because looking back, uh, I think it was an important pause. I think it was. An, and, and at this time I was married also and, and the relationship ended, which is what got me back to Toronto. Uh, but there wasn't much that I did in that much time. Like I, I dabbled in daily deals, for example. It did OK. Uh, but there was nothing considering like how much I can accomplish now in this year alone versus what I did in those five years. Uh, those five years were almost pathetic is the word. And, and I use this for myself, but I think it, it really set the baseline for everything else I've done, not in a business or a professional capacity, but more on a, on a personal level of, of being driven to, you know, enjoy my life, enjoy the shenanigans that happen. Okay. So take us then from, I'm guessing around 28, 27, you're, 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 did you get divorced then and you came back to Toronto and then you're thinking I'm, I'm juiced for business again. Is that where you were at? Oh, no, kind of. Uh, so yeah, you know, I was like, you know, this, this thing is not working. So I left, I was in New York at the time I left and I came back to Toronto and what had happened was I gained a lot of weight. Uh, in Argentina, they have amazing ice cream, so you just order it for delivery online, and it arrives, and it's like a liter of fresh ice cream, and obviously, you can't put that in the freezer, so I ate all the ice cream, uh, and then, <laughs> obviously, right? right, and then you you repeat the process the next day, because obviously, you need more ice cream, and then in, in New York, we had, you know, pizzas and cookies, and, and I live right close to the infamous Bleecker Street Pizza, I was like a three-minute walk from it, lots of pizza, lots of um, food, so when I came back to Toronto, I was actually really, really heavy. And what happened was 
I was like, okay, you know what? It's time to get like I'm like, like hey, I think I was was this 2009, so I'm 28 now. 29, 20, sorry, 26, 27. I was like, all right, you know what? Now's the time to get in shape because, you know, I've peaked on my testosterone. And so as I lost weight, you know, I bought all these supplements to try to help and all that jazz, but I eventually learned very quickly these supplements are useless. And that is what happened. So I was in Colombia hanging out with some friends. They're both postdocs. And I was complaining about how these supplement companies are misrepresenting science and they're bums and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, listen, you're not doing anything with your life. You're a bum. Do something about it. And I was like, damn, they got me there. And so I actually emailed my co-founder right then. Or I actually messaged him on Reddit. I'm like, listen, you know what I can do. You, uh, you know I've done this and this. Why don't we do something together? And he was actually gearing up for his PhD. Uh, he was going to get into it. But I was. he was like, you know what? Why don't we? Because I said, like, you have literally nothing to lose, right? Worst case, you can do your PhD in a year. Who cares? Let's try to go at it. Uh, so he really, he was down for it. Uh, and then from Colombia, I went to Panama because I was in the domain space. I know a lot of domainers and a lot of the biggest domain name brokers are in Panama. And so that's where I bought examine.com. And that's what got me going. It was never so none of my business ever been like, look at me, I'm a great entrepreneur. Look at me, I'm going to solve this problem. It's more like I'm really annoyed or I really think that this could be done better. I will do it better myself. Uh-huh. And that's how I got to examine.com. So was examine.com uh, created and grown at the same time? as you were losing the weight and experimenting with different supplements yourself or did that happen before examine.com i would say i lost a chunk of weight before um i mean obviously you know it's a continual process uh, but i would say the the chunk of the like I've, I've lost maybe let's say 50 55 pounds now i would have lost by then by like 35 40 pounds were already down um how did obviously you do it? So i've got a, well i've got you here in the public sure well, sure no how did you how have you lost all the weight because if, if you've ever seen souls before and after pictures especially your neck <laughs> your recent neck photos there's some big changes there so you know, what, what's the yeah secret? No, no kidding uh honestly the only thing i did originally was i just went for ten thousand steps a day so i bought a proper uh amran pedometer i put it on my belt and i just went for ten thousand steps a day and there's studies that show that once you adopt one healthy habit, you immediately start tightening up your other habits. So I never tried to be like, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It was just 10K steps a day. And that got me into eating more vegetables. I used to hate vegetables. Now I love stuff like okra. That got me eating less you know, burgers. That got me eating a lot less desserts. And, and you know me, I still eat a lot of desserts. But like I could have, you could buy me a, a box of fudgios and I would have eaten the entire box. And I would have not liked myself for it, but I would have done it. So a lot of it was just originally just walk those steps. And then the second step was just making more food at home. That was really it. Like, you know, the more you make a food at home, the less, oh, I'll buy this dessert or I'll get this extra, uh, you know, whatever milkshake or whatnot. So those were just the two initial steps. Uh, And since then, and I didn't even like lift weights or run. It was just walk. So that's that was uh, the impetus for all of it. And how long did it take to, to drop the weight? Um, I don't, you know what? I honestly don't know. I mean, I have my, being the nerd I am, I have my spreadsheets from the first day I started doing any of this. Uh, I would say that, you know, within obviously a month or two, results started coming in. Uh, and then within a year or year and a half, I mean, I'd lost a lot of the baby weight. I lost enough where people would be like, oh, you know, you look skinnier. Um, it was building muscle and all that, that took a little bit more effort and, and time. But, um yeah and, and it took time right like a year and a half is a long long time it's not really but it feels like a really long 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 time but uh, i love walking now right so it, it all kind of worked out nicely for me so now today you, you, you're a bit more into the weight training and, and so on 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like lifting weights. So one of the things is uh, I have this genetic disorder called EDS. And basically, the collagen doesn't set properly in my ligaments and my tendons, so they tear very easily. So I've had seven surgeries. Um, so I have to be a little bit more careful about it. But it's also the more muscle mass I have, the less likely my joints are to get uh, injured in any egregious manner. So uh, weightlifting is both aesthetics, uh, but it also definitely keeps me a lot, lot uh, healthier. But I like it. I mean, it, to me, uh, lifting weights is my meditation time. You know, I put on my noise canceling earphones, I blast my music, and the world doesn't exist outside of, you know, here's the weight, can you lift it X number of times, whatever. So it, it, it's really enjoyable for me. Okay, so you've gone from overweight, divorced, uh, maybe let's say tech geeky nerd, successful mm -hmm. entrepreneur guy, then you've, <laughs> now you've, and I know you today, you know, you've, you've got a new girlfriend, you're, you're trim, uh, you're known as the cookie guy, which is a lovely piece of irony given your past. Uh, That's right. Weight. And of course, you're most known for what we finally hit the story of here with with examine.com. So, yeah, now I, I know from this personal conversation with you, you said you spent quite a bit of time on Reddit, which is how you met your co-founder. Uh, yeah. Did like that experience with Reddit, was it purely just because you wanted to talk about the whole weight loss process with other people going through the same process? Oh, no, man. I've been on Reddit now for over 10 years. And um, I've been on it since before they had any subreddits, which are like the subcategories, uh, like as if it's a forum. So, no, I'm just a giant nerd, you know. So I was on Dig back when it's original. I've been on uh, Hacker News, uh, Reddit, all of these. So it was a very organic thing. And when I started losing weight, I just – I don't even remember exactly how I came across it. But I think it was the engineer slash nerd in me that ended uh, – had me end up in Reddit Fitness. And that's kind of how I got involved with that. So there was literally no – a specific reason why I was in Reddit Fitness other than, you know, I want to get fit. And through that, I found my co-founder. Okay, so take us to the examine story because at this point, you clearly have a formula from your previous companies. It must have been very clear in your head, your plan for growing this company. So you've gone to Panama, you bought examine.com. Uh, I don't know if you can say how much that cost because I know it was a little more than, the, you know, your average $10 a month domain name kind of thing. Um, okay. uh, and, and then away you go with, I'm assuming, uh, a content creation plan, but it, it can't just be one person or maybe it was just your co-founder doing all the writing. How did it start? Yeah. So uh, I bought the domain for $41,000. Um, and I've always put the number out there because too many people see uh, expenditures as just um, sunk costs, whereas examine uh, the domain is more of an opportunity cost. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, even though I spent forty-one thousand, I knew I could have sold it for anywhere from thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars within twenty-four hours. So it was more of a I'm going to put in a ten k, five k risk, and you know I put more money aside, but I didn't need the money. It was okay to put it aside. So that's why I bought the domain. That's why I spent the money because of its value. Even though, to be honest, now examine.com as a domain alone is maybe worth fifty to sixty k. So it worked out for everybody. Um, in terms of, of how it worked, yeah, man, it was just a one-man show. But this is why I mentioned, you know, I learned how to program in HTML and CSS back in the day because I had the foundation to do all this stuff and do it quickly. So all my co-founder Curtis did was all he did was the research. That's literally it. He didn't even edit it. He just did the research. And I would come in and, you know, I love literature. I love English. So I clean up the language. You know, I did the, the original design is the world's ugliest design, but I have never cared for that. I'm all about proof of concept. So, you know, I did the design. I did any customer service and emails, any programming. All of that was all on me. And we were like that for the first pretty much two and a half years. It was just him and I. 
And, you know, he did the, like I said, he just did the research and I took care of every single other thing. Is it a WordPress blog? No, no. I So this is where the PHP thing comes in useful. I, I've actually never used WordPress other than for my blog for the first time ever, about a, not even a year ago. Uh, I custom coded everything. Because the way we worked, right, was if we're adding a, a database and we have information on supplementation, uh, hacking WordPress to make it work is just adding extra work. Why not just start from, from the ground up and do it in, in such a manner? So, yeah. So with examine.com, I imagine there would have been a huge mountain of information you would have wanted to start building. How do you even start with that process? So I talk a lot about this uh, when, I, when I talk at events is that you need to focus on what you're best at. And we only focused on bodybuilding supplements. So I think when we launched, we had maybe like six pages and that's it. And that was it. And that's all we needed, right? Was, hey, if you want to know about creatine or whey protein or beta alanine, come to our website. You know, even uh, uh, two days ago, our, our mutual friend Dev, he posted on Facebook saying, hey, I was looking for beta alanine. What do I find? Examine.com. Boom. So we originally just focused on bodybuilding supplements. Then when we were kick-ass at that, we went into fitness supplements. Then we went to all supplements. And then finally, we went into nutrition uh, almost two years ago. Um, so it was a very, very slow but gradual but, you know, uh, focused on small hyper niche and then grow our niche uh, slowly but surely into bigger areas. And what was the, the traffic strategy for this? So, you know what? Honestly, uh, my biggest thing has always been I'm a big believer in SEO. Um, SEO in itself is not that complicated no matter what Penguin, Panda, whatever the new thing that just came out like last week is. At the end of the day, all SEO is one, prove that you're a reliable brand and, and two, uh, have, that people, uh, have people linking to you. And thankfully, because of the nature of what we do as a reference site, getting links was not that difficult. Um, one of the big things we've always done, or I've always done even in all my companies, is we never do any coaching, we never do any consulting, and we don't ever sell any physical products. And the nice thing about not doing any coaching or consulting is people will link to you because they know you're not going to try to steal our customers. So we had all these, we've had all these personal trainers from around the industry linked to us. We've had registered dietitians all linked to us because they know they're not competing with us for clients. So that was a big facet of it. I mean, even today, we're depending obviously on personalization. We're top three for fish oil, vitamin D, vitamin K, creatine, all of these uh, when you search for them on Google. The other one that was a bit of a bonus that I had honestly not anticipated is Reddit. So when I got into Reddit Fitness, there was 5,000 members in Reddit Fitness. Today, Reddit Fitness is about 6.5 million people. And in the FAQ, which gets used a lot, uh, we are linked all over that FAQ. So that's actually, uh, you know, if, if I even step back, that was our way of figuring out what content to write about was someone would come on to Reddit Fitness and be like, hey, is creatine bad for kidney function? We'd be like, hey. There's an opportunity for an article to write. Boom, we'll write about it. So the next time someone comes to Reddit Fitness and says, hey, you know, is there a good article or is uh, creatine okay if I have kidney problems? Hey, boom, go to examine.com. So that's kind of, we've had this very symbiotic relationship with uh, Reddit where, you know, without me even asking or knowing, they've added us to our FAQs. They have like a, a weekly nutrition and a weekly supplement thread, and they always link to us in that being like, hey, examine.com is most of your questions. So. Uh, that's kind of been our, our, our traffic strategy right there. So, uh, and I'm assuming, it, like you said, it's a combination of the links coming from Reddit and obviously, you know, for people listening and you just can't go to Reddit and start posting links to your own site because that doesn't exactly. work. <laughs> um, you have to, I think the key here, it's worth mentioning, is the power of that brand. Like if you were called 
you know, we like supplements because they're good for you.com. Exactly. You're not going to get those authoritative links because who's going to trust the domain like that? But with examine.com, you immediately had that brand authority that made people go, well, the content here is good and the brand is good. So let's link to it. Um, take us through the monetization strategy then, because if you had from the start, no coaching and no physical products, which to me was the most surprising aspect of this, because I think you're writing about supplements, but you're not linking to at least affiliate programs for supplements. Yeah. That seems crazy. So what yeah. was the plan there? So uh, one thing I do want to touch that you mentioned, yeah, the brand of having a good domain is unbelievable. Uh, even today, I still get when I mention, hey, yeah, we have exam or examine.com. They're like, how do you spell it? And I'm like, how do you spell the word examine? <laughs> like, that's it. And, and and people are legitimately impressed, especially it's funny, right? As we get more dot IOs or whatever, you know, back even the flicker and the dropping Twitter, right? Originally didn't have the second E or the E in it. Um, so that's definitely helped. In terms of monetization, uh, so the reason I never do coaching and consulting is I personally hate it. Uh, I've only ever had two clients. One of them was actually HostGator. I did their SEO way back. I was the original SEO dude that got them up there. But um, it's too much of a headache, so I've never liked coaching. I've never liked consulting. The reason we never have linked to any supplement or physical products is we lose our unbiased nature the moment we start selling supplements. Right. The moment we start saying, hey, listen, you know, buy the supplement or you can buy creatine from hair, we lose that ability to say you can trust everything we say. And the number one word that people use to describe us is unbiased. So we have to be very, very careful with that. So I knew off the bat that education or information was what we would make money from because I'd done it for online games with guides um, and I and I know other people who had done it really well and I also knew or I had the luxury because I'd made money before that I, ha I could wait and bide my time so one of the reasons we didn't sell anything for like two and a half years was because we had the viewpoint that listen let's build our brand to be so strong that when we say hey we're selling something it'll sell like hotcakes and that's exactly what happened and Part of it is, you know, if you step back and you go, you know, lynda.com sold for what 1.5 billion, right, to, to LinkedIn. Education is a huge opportunity. And if we look at it, okay, we're in nutrition space. That's what supplements really are. Uh, you know, where is education in nutrition? And the education is to professionals. And you go, okay, if I step back and I say, okay, professionals are the ones that need education. What kind of education do they need? And what do they operate in? So what our, our growth is or what our real opportunity is, is we have something called the examine.com research digest, ERD. And every month we analyze six nutrition studies and we break it down into these beautiful infographics. And it's it's honestly, I'll send it to you as I'll be happy to even upload an issue for your members. It looks like the best looking PDF you'll find pretty much anywhere. And what we did was we're like, okay, you guys are professionals, trainers, uh, registered dietitians. You need education. Boom. We will make sure you don't get left behind. And this is an honest truth that professionals often feel like they're getting left behind. There's too much information. We solve that problem for them. And then the secondary layer to that was anyone that's a health professional to have those uh, letters, you know, RD or MD or RMT, any of those, you have to get continuing education units uh, to retain that certification. So for example, to be a registered dietitian, you need 75 hours every five years or you can no longer call yourself an RD. So what we did was we went to all these organizing bodies and we said, listen, we have something that's incredibly unique, certify these for continuing education hours. And that's what's happened. So if you're a registered dietitian and you need your uh, hours, you come and you subscribe to our, our Research Digest, 
boom. Not only do you get access to the latest information so you're not being left behind, but two, you're also getting continuing education units so that you can continue being an RD. So that was kind of our, our big picture, and that's kind of what we've started uh, to really follow up on, and that's kind of how we go from you know uh, a few million dollars to $10 million a year or whatever. That's the level where you become the education company for professionals. So yeah. And what does Examen look like today in terms of staff? Because there's obviously a lot more content there oh. than just articles, right? You've got all these PDFs to produce, and yes, you're having external people write, but how, what does it look like in terms of contractors and regular, you know, I wouldn't call them employees, or are they employees, or how does it work? Yeah, so we, we definitely have employees. Um, obviously, right? So even just the operational side of it is, is massive. Um, we have a core team of researchers. Uh, we have a few editors, copy editors that have to come in and clean up our language because it is a very precise and technical ori uh, oriented and we have to make sure it's accessible to end users. Um, but really we have a, t and we have a, a customer service rep that's, uh, I'm big on keeping people in their native speaking country. So a customer service rep, she's, uh, in LA, you know, I find that having slang understanding is very important and paying it is worthwhile for, you know, all the time you save and headaches you save. But we have a lot of contractors because hey, here's the deal, right? If we're analyzing scientific research and it's a very specific case, you're not going to have someone that's an expert on it on staff all the time, right? You're wasting money. You're wasting everyone's time. So we have like, I think up to 50 contractors that we have access to for any specific case. So for example, when we're looking at St. John's Wars, which is a supplement and it affects stuff in the brain. So we have a PharmD, which is a doctorate in pharmacy who specializes in psychiatric medicine. So that whenever we need to look at St. John's works, we go to him and we go, hey, what are the drug-drug interactions in our head? So we have this core team of like 10, 15 people that, you know, run everything day to day, do all the research and all that jazz. But we have a massive team that we can uh, reach out to whenever we need more specific research. And the millions of dollars a year you're making is just from these lower priced products? Are there anything back end? Yeah, so we don't really. Yeah, we are. Are we have uh, three products? One is a reference, which is fifty bucks. We have stack guys. There are seventeen of them. Each one is fifty bucks individually, or one hundred fifty bucks combined for all seventeen. So obviously, we mostly sell all, all seventeen. Uh, and then our research digest is just thirty bucks a month. And then we have like a yearly option and a lifetime option. But yeah, most people either pick the the monthly or uh, yearly. It is interesting though when we first launched it, yearly was a uh, was a thousand bucks. Uh, we sold over a hundred uh, of of lifetime. Sorry, lifetimes a thousand bucks. We sold over a hundred of those just because of how strong our brand was. Right. People hadn't even seen the product, but they just went out. They'd never seen. It, they just went out the day it launched and they bought it. Hundred people bought it. So that's also where how powerful the brand is. But yeah, we don't have any. Uh, we might. Uh, we're in the planning stages of, of doing a certification. Um, that'd be a little bit more, you know, higher end, like seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars. But yeah, we don't have anything. Uh, higher priced at all it's just we have such massive traffic and our email list is so hit huge that it just kind of you know uh churns and this is kind of what i was mentioning before right that we could make a lot more money we could get into coaching we could do consulting we'd make huge amounts of money easily but that's not my ethos that's not my style and that's why we don't do that kind of stuff all right so i've got one more question because we've hit the hour mark here so it's about time to, to wrap it up I mean, we've covered a lot here, and uh, yeah. there's so many moving parts to everything you're doing and have done. Uh, I know, I know, there's people who are going. I, this is way over my head in terms of me starting something, but I would love to address a person who's thinking, in particular, I want to follow this model that Soul has outlined here, where 
I'm going to create a quality sort of database driven content site. And I also want to bring on uh, one person to sort of be my, my content creator. And I'm going to be the, the manager and more of the, the business owner role. And, and that might appeal to them as a, an entrepreneur right. and not necessarily a writer or a researcher, so to speak. Now, what do you feel, and this is the important part, I think, what do you feel is the important skill set that you've got that's led to the success? Because I know there's really only one or two things that really matter that a person listening now should focus on if they want to kind of replicate this model. Um, so uh, two things I would say is, one, don't worry about e-fame. Uh, don't worry about being famous. People are so obsessed with building their fan pages or their audiences or being thought leaders or speaking at events. None of that matters. Um, unless you're already branded and you're, you have big upsells to go, none of that stuff really helps that much. Secondly is that you need to promote your damn content. Uh, it boggles my mind that, uh, you know, we didn't get to really cover this, but anytime we'd write anything from Examine to online gaming way back when, I would reach out to people and I would let them know it was out there. And I've obviously refined the process, and it's a bit easier now because of being verified and all that jazz. But, you know, let's say, um, so on sjo.com, where I talk about entrepreneurship, right, I recently wrote about readability. Not recently anymore. Wow, that was last year. Sorry. In December last year, I wrote about readability. And I contacted, I think, 77 people before I released the article saying, hey, you know, I know you're interested in it. I wrote about this article. Would you like me to let you know when I release it? And at a response rate of in the, I think it was 69% responded, which is amazing for a cold email, right? And so when I then put it out there, I think we had like 100 or 200 tweets for this one random article I'd written about readability. And now it still gets me traffic day in and day out. So the hard part is not actually, to be honest, the content generation. The hard part is you need to go out there, build the relationships and tell people about your content and do it in such a way that you don't come across as some pushy dude come across as someone who genuinely cares about what they say because you should genuinely care about what they say and then they will be more than happy to promote your stuff so just to clarify that then because that's such an important point a lot of people understand you know like things like uh group group posts where you go and invite someone else to contribute an answer to a question i think that's probably overdone now what you're yep. talking about here is just going to someone who has some sort of connection to the topic that you're writing possibly has a following uh, maybe big or small and getting them to a listen to you from a cold email which is pretty hard and then b take an action uh, when you do release that content to promote someone they don't necessarily even know or you know well yeah you, you have to put some effort and build a relationship right okay. so uh my entire process 100 percent breakdown is i'll search for web readability let's say right on google and i'll read the article and if i like it I will send an email to them and I'll be like, hey, you know, I was researching reputability because I'm writing about it and I read, I came across your article on this and I really liked XYZ. I always make sure I point out something I really like about them. You have to be honest. And, you know, when I say I contact 77 people, it took me 24 hours to contact, like over time, three days, eight hours a day to contact 20, uh, 77 people. That's a lot of time. And so it's not just, you know, bam, shotgun approach. I would then go to their website. I would read their website. And so, sorry, when then I would send them an email, I would be able to reference all these things so they know, hey, I know who this person is, right? When I get an email from some some stranger who just says, hey, what's up? I like your stuff versus somebody who sends me an email and says, hey, you know what? Uh, I also like cookies or, hey, you know what? I think your wrong reasons are amazing. I'm like, okay, this person's actually spent the time to read and find out who I am. I like this person already. But then the next step I would do is I would tweet at them. 
So, uh, and this is the only thing I find social media to be any good at is, you know, making people understand who you are a little bit. You know, so uh, easy example, let's say is Tommy Walker, right? He had a great article on Conversion Excel about web readability. I popped him an email uh, and, um, you know, he actually replied about how he's uh, with Shopify Plus. And I'm like, yo, I'm in Toronto anytime you're in Toronto. So see how I've already started building up the relationship. Right. And so on Twitter, he had written about something and I tweeted back saying, hey, these are my thoughts or hey, I really enjoy this or I retweeted. I don't remember the exact thing, but I engaged as a human being. And that's the important part. Right. Everyone contacts so many. Ninety nine percent of people contact you and they give you no reason to engage with them. Right. Like I, I did a talk last um, Thursday. I had 10 people contact me afterwards to say like, hey, you know what, let's grab coffee or something. Seven of them literally were just like, hey, man, let's just grab coffee. And I don't want to sound egotistical, but I'm like, why would I want to grab coffee with you? You've done nothing to make me want to grab coffee with you. Right. And so that's kind of the mindset you need to have is like show them that you know who they are. Show them you like their stuff, but also show them you know your stuff, too. And they're much, much more likely to respond. And then almost everybody said, absolutely. And then I was and then I would send them an email saying, hey, I just launched this, you know, I hope you enjoy it. Um, You know, and and I'm not sure this one I still haven't fully decided. Should you ask for the share or not? Um, I think especially when you're in the more marketing world or web world, people know that, you know, that you're asking possibly that they share it. But if you're like in pet space, I like to say, hey, you know what, Uh, uh, let me know if you like it. And if you think it's good for your audience, you know, I'd really appreciate the share or whatever. So that's really it. It's like people get too fast about doing the sell. Right. But. Take your time. Show them you're amazing. And so oftentimes, you know, I might not even ask for um, anything other than, you know, how else can I help you, whatever. So it's that kind of stuff I think that I would focus on. If you're starting, um, you know, focus on building these relationships so that they will promote you. Don't worry about these stupid, like you said, right, the round post of 100 experts and you're just like, dear God, it's another one of those. No, man, be unique. Be, And that's why, you know, you talked about how I've exploded over the last 12 months. So I went to a bit of a rant here, but you talked about how I explained the last 12 months. It's because, you know, I built up all these relationships. People know who I am. I know who they are. I like their stuff. You know, I knew your stuff, right? I knew your stuff from years. So it made it so easy for me to be able to say, hey, Yarrow, I like your stuff. Let's have a conversation. You're like, sure, why not? This guy obviously knows his stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of my roundabout way of, you know, <laughs> take the time to, to get to know them. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it is advice we hear over and over again, twofold advice. One, you have to have some kind of outreach plan in place to build links and, and get exposure for your work and then people say how do you do that well you need to have relationships in place so people listen to you when you come to them and i think that's that's a big hurdle for a lot of people on, on the planet who just you know want to sit behind the computer and that's what they feel comfortable doing so um, but you know like you said it's mandatory if you want to get traffic and actually have a business so uh good to hear it yet again reinforced um, so exactly. anything else you want to throw out the door to people uh, now that we've reached the end of your story for the moment? Uh, to be a little bit self-promotional, uh, as I mentioned, I blog, or I talk about my version of entrepreneurship at sjo.com. Uh, if they have found anything useful, you can uh, find some of the stuff there. Or if they want to get a hold of me, they can uh, contact me through there also. We should also mention, uh, I think, because I'm, I'm curious for all the story points what are the websites for everything we've mentioned? Because we've mentioned a few. So if you want to check out the local search, the video gaming, obviously examine.com is examine.com. What are the other ones? Right. So the original O Gaming has now been merged into Zam, Z-A-M.com. Uh, there's obviously ibegin.com. That's pretty uh, self-explanatory. Uh, there's examine.com. There's sjo.com, which I mentioned. And then my next one will be pet.org. Not, not the infamous pets.com, huh? 
Not the infamous pets. PetSmart has it, unfortunately, and I did try reaching out to them, but I think they paid like two and a half million to it, and I'm I, I do decently well, but I don't do that decently well. <laughs> yeah, I remember those stories. Okay, awesome, Sol. Well, thank you for sharing all the details. Uh, I feel we've got a good feel for the journey, the entrepreneur's journey you've been on, uh, although I feel like it's also maybe halfway through, so there's no doubt lots coming up. Um, good luck with the future of examine.com, and I'll see you around Toronto, of course. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Yaro. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. This has been the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. If you want the show notes or any of the downloads to go along with Sol's interview, you can head to entrepreneurs-journey.com or just Google my name, Yaro, Y-A-R-O. And when you get there, just hit the podcast tab and you'll be able to find all the previous episodes as well as Sol's. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed Sol Orwell's story and you're motivated now to get out there and build your own content website uh, powered by blogging, just like Sol's Examine com site is it's essentially a blog running on WordPress if you'd like more fantastic interviews like this one with Soul make sure you go to interviewsclub.com and sign up to the newsletter for the EJ podcast that's interviewsclub.com that'll take you to a page where you can enter your email address to subscribe and I'll send you the latest EJ podcast as soon as it's released as well as a series of the very best podcasts from my archives. My name is Yarrow and I'll speak to you again on a future episode. Bye-bye.